been talking about saturate today. Uh, we've been talking about how saturating our lives and our community with Jesus has been our theme uh, for this term, and we're continuing into part of this term as well. And uh, Les is going to speak to us this morning, and he's going to be speaking to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I think it's going up on the screen as well. Uh, it's a fairly short little passage today, uh, but packed with a lot of great stuff. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 through to 11, verse 1. Uh, if you have your Bibles open, feel free to read there or you can see it on the screen as well. It says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks or the Church of God. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I'm not seeking my own good but the good of many so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everyone. It's really good to be here. Good to be back here. We've been away for five weeks. Um, over the last five weekends, we've had three weddings and two youth conventions. So it's really nice to just have a normal Sunday and be back with you all and Especially, thank you for keeping me on the pay- payroll, being away so much. It's really, really good. I just wanted to, before we get right into it, uh, we ran a youth group um, holiday outing, um, day trip uh, on Friday. So I'll just throw up a couple of pictures of what we, we went up to this water park. There's a good little crew there. Um, we went on a jumping pillow. I think that's, oh no, and on some kind of bicycle and a jumping pillow. And it was really fun. And we're back into the youth group program next Friday for the uh, whole term, so please be praying for us too, and there's a really nice little um, core group uh, developing, there's, um, Carolyn's amazed at how many girls are around, apparently there wasn't a lot of girls in recent years, so it's really um, really going along well, so thank God for that. Um, I'll pray for us as we look at God's word together. Loving Father, we thank you and praise you that we can sit under your word today, Lord, we Pray that we'd have humble hearts as we do that, ready to hear what you've got to say to us, be open to uh, living it out in our lives. And Lord, uh, just I pray that we'd be saturated with the gospel of Jesus, that it would be everything to us and everything that we're about in Jesus' name. Amen. So thinking about these weddings and um, conventions that I've been away to, it's actually a helpful thing for what we're thinking about today. See, they're not the everyday thing. They're the special events of life. The conventions that we went to were really good, part of the NCCC conventions, but the ones that were for the teenagers and young people, and they were really good for the youth getting to know Jesus better, and they really were good for that. The the youth that went along um, were really impacted by the community that was formed on those camps, and the Bible teaching that they heard really pointed them straight back to Jesus. It was really encouraging time and likewise with all these weddings that I've been to I feel very spoiled to have been to so many weddings Um, all the good food that you get to eat at weddings people looking their best when you go to weddings even Paul didn't look bad at at Lachlan's wedding Um, and spending time drinking and chatting and dancing to music there's a lot of joy at these events 
But thinking about these things, they're unique and special times. The, the unique and special times that come up every now and then in our lives. A youth convention or a camp isn't where a teenager is going to live out their life. A wedding isn't where a couple is going to live out their marriage. Just imagine that, a couple getting married and then spending every day of their marriage as if it were their wedding day. It would be absurd. They'd be spending thousands of dollars on food, spending hours getting, uh, looking their best. The wedding is important and it must be celebrated, but it's not the marriage. And it's just as absurd to treat um, the marriage... Sorry. And it's just as absurd to treat a marriage like every day as the wedding day as it is for, as it is foolish for us to make the same mistake in our Christian lives. See, we can quite easily and quickly think a, a Christian life is where we do all the church things every day of our week. Or we might think that it's just that little bit of our week. We can think that our relationship with God is just something to be expressed on Sundays and not much else. Particularly if uh, you're a person that's involved in running a church service, if you're involved in preaching, if you're involved in music, if you're someone that does activities with the kids, if you're up the front leading something, we can also think that it needs to be the event that will inspire and connect people to God. And what we're going to look at today is that that's a bit of a misconception and that our Christian life is far more about the everyday things that we do. See, it's quite easy to think of our Christian lives in those terms, just as the thing that we do once or twice a week when we get together with people. For In some ways, it's less confronting and it's kind of less demanding of us. But it doesn't really fill out that idea of a life that's saturated with Jesus. We want lives that are saturated with Jesus. That's what we've been challenged from, from God's word so far this year. We've been talking about lives that are really centered on Jesus. And centering your life on Jesus, that's not like the next step in Christian life. That's not how to be a good Christian. It's actually far more fundamental than that. The need to be centered on Jesus that we have is actually because Jesus is the center of everything. He's our deepest longing. He's God's provision to us of our greatest need. He's our Savior and King. He's our Lord and He's our brother. The challenge for us is to fight a tendency that, that we have, I find I have it, to make Him an add-on in our life. That tagline from earlier in the year that Jesus is better is a really helpful one to remember. And so the logical conclusion is that we would be people that follow him day in, day out. That term disciple, to be his follower. And then we've been thinking that like Jesus set the pattern with his own disciples, we want to be people committed to living with each other, to living alongside each other. This is the calling of every Christian, to live in community with one another. And not just to live win community with each other, but to reach out to our community for Jesus, to be on mission together. And so for those last few weeks before uh, school broke up, we were thinking about how having Jesus at the centre of our lives actually gives us a complete new identity, an identity that is distinct from our life without Jesus and an identity that is distinct from those around us who don't follow Jesus. It's actually about living differently. Trusting in Jesus imparts upon us 
the status of God's child, of being a servant like Jesus, and of being God's missionary, empowered by his Holy Spirit. So we really need to keep all that in mind as we look at this today, otherwise we won't understand what we're talking about. We're all those things, that our identity is in Jesus, to live in community, and to be on mission together. We've been challenged to consider whether these truths are realised in how we live in our everyday lives. And as we've been thinking through this Saturate stuff this year, I've been most challenged by what it means to be a missionary. Now, that might sound a little bit um, strange because this is my eighth straight year of working in a public high school being the scripture teacher. And in that job, it's easy to define that job as having a missionary kind of purpose. You're in amongst people that don't know Jesus and you're trying to help them to know Jesus. But in a scripture class, it's easy to talk about Jesus and to teach the Bible to teenagers when they know that they're sitting in a scripture class. That's what they're there for. That's what you're there for. But what about all the people that I interact with day in and day out? That's what I've been challenged about. And I don't know what you've been challenged about, but that's the, that's the challenge, isn't it? So I've been thinking, well, am I just at school for the, for the kids that I teach? Or what about the other people that are there? Are we just, do we just do the Christian stuff for the interested people around us? Or are we seeking to reach out to the people all around us? What we're going to consider today is how can we reach out to people and still kind of just incorporate that into our everyday lives? How in our everyday life can we show people that Jesus is better? Express to them that we follow him above anything else that pulls on our life. Express that our identity is in him and actively reach out to people. And the thing is that it's not just whether we're going to decide to do this. It's actually understanding that this is what God has called us to do. This is what he saved us to do. That's why he draws us together to do these things. And while he calls us to do these things, it's actually not about adding more things to do. Does that make sense? He calls us to do these things where we're at, in the things that we're already doing. So that verse that Paul read for us today... Paul, the writer, um, writer of the letter to the Corinthian church, actually gives us a good little gold nugget, I reckon, of gospel truth to tr- try to understand what might motivate us to live such a way um, amongst the people that we live with. This is a long letter, 1 Corinthians, and in this letter, Paul's dealing with a heap of stuff that this church had got confused about when it came to living out the gospel. They were confused people. What you see in this uh, in this letter is Paul's heart, really, as a missionary for to save people. And he deals with a whole heap of stuff in this letter, and he deals with things to do with immorality, idolatry, the food customs of the time, people that question the resurrection. Uh, there was disorder that was destabilizing the church. But every time he deals with a different issue, he shows them that Jesus is better. He shows them how the gospel answers those questions. He shows them how the gospel brings order and how the church exists to actually get past those things and take the gospel out to people that really need to hear it. And so we've just dived right in at the end of chapter 10. And in this section, Paul's been dealing with a whole heap of the concerns that 
about how the Christian believer should interact with food that's been sacrificed to pagan idols. Not an issue that we're probably going to confront, but that's what he's talking about here. And he actually doesn't give them any hard and fast rules. He does very little of that through this. He does, however, model how to use biblical wisdom and how to understand the gospel to try to work out what the right thing to do is in each situation. The reason that he does this is because the only law that there is for us to follow is the gospel. That's, that's our law to live by. The f- salvation that they've received is everything that they need, and that's it. And so he leaves them with this gospel principle that we've read out, this little gold nugget that we're going to sink our teeth into thinking about today. And I'm going to paraphrase those verses together. I, I want to say it like this. He says there to do everything for the glory of God seeking the good of many, that many may be saved. I'll say that again. We should do everything for the glory of God, seeking the good of many, that the many may be saved. He doesn't say specifically there, go and set up a course for the glory of God. He doesn't say build a big complex that can seat heaps of people so they can hear about Jesus and be saved. He actually says in every single thing, In everything, live for the glory of God. Now, in some ways, that's a really helpful thing to hear because we don't need to think up a big plan, but it's far more confronting because it's about letting Jesus and his gospel infuse into every single part of our life. So what we're going to think about in this is six everyday rhythms. Mick, I think there's a picture that kind of represents what those six things are. Six everyday things that really lend themselves to us as a church being on mission to the community around us and living for the glory of God, as that passage says. I'm going to look at three of these things this morning, and Paul's going to talk about three of them next week. And the three things that we're going to talk about this morning are eating, celebrating, and recreating, or recreation, or resting, or There's a few different words that you can use there. But we're going to look at each of those one by one. Now, the great thing about these is these are things that we all do. They're already built into our lives. We're not talking about things that we've got to add. We're not trying to line up our calendars so that we can get something worked out so that we might go and reach our community. These are things that we regularly do. And they're things that we can easily saturate with Jesus. And they're actually things that there's a good biblical basis for saturating uh, with Jesus. Things that you see modelled time and time again through the Bible. To eat, to celebrate and to recreate. So thinking about eating. We all eat daily, I think, I hope that most of us do. Usually three square meals because we live in uh, the major- uh, the we live in the first world. So we're well off and we can eat three times a day. Um And in the saturate material, I just read this really good observation about eating. Let me read it to you. He says, something very significant happens at a meal. We are hungry. We are in need. And that need is met only by something outside our bodies. Think about that. There's something profound about eating. Think right back to the garden. God set up eating. It was his idea. He produced a garden where it was full of food for them. And we're reminded every time that we are only sustained by things outside of ourselves. 
Not only that, when we share food, the meal, there's something very uniting about it. I was thinking about this and I was thinking back on my life in this church back when I was a teenager uh, in the early 2000s. And I remember meals. I remember going to, uh, where are they, Jordan and uh, Gordon and Joe's house for spaghetti bolognese. I remember all the picnics together out at George Law's farm. I remember barbecues down behind the kiosk. I remember going through several houses on a youth group progressive dinner and slowly trashing one house after another while we ate all their food. And I remember um, when I was engaged being taken out by Johnny Burns to the Chinese restaurant at the Bolo. And all these, these are just some small examples, but all these meals when I was young in my faith, sharing a table with people, with godly people over meals, just started really good relationships and really good times of encouragement. See, when you think about it, thinking about um, cooking a meal for someone, you give of yourself for that person. There's a small display of the gospel there that what doesn't belong to them and what they haven't earned is freely given to them. Or when someone shares a meal with you, you haven't earned that meal, but it's given to you freely. So thinking about the everyday stuff of life, the everyday rhythms of life. Eating is thinking about regularly eating meals with others and doing that with some purpose for the glory of God, like 1 Corinthians says. We can do it as a display of the love and the provision of God and acceptance of God. Basically, in reaching people and saturating their lives with Jesus, we can do something as simple as eating with people. Isn't that good? That doesn't mean a big, elaborate dinner party. It just means joining them and eating them together. It might be uncomfortable to do this. We may have to overcome some things. We might have to come some selfishness, giving up our space, giving up our family time and the extra cost to feed others. We might have to give up um, idols of perfection, of having a perfect-looking place to feed someone. We might have to overcome our feelings of having a messy house. We might have to relinquish wanting control over our life when people just show up expecting to be fed. See, having people eat with us actually requires a good understanding of the gospel because it requires a generosity, a generosity that comes from what God's done for us. See, it's really about a mindset of believing that God has lavishly given to us. And so to share my fish and chips or my sausages and mashed potato isn't going to be that much of a sacrifice by comparison. And it doesn't even mean hosting people. We can share meals by sitting in the lunchroom at work rather than at our desk, uh, busily getting on with our day. We can share meals like where John and Sue and Mum and Dad and I know others go down to the raffles at the RSL club. Or like some of our gospel communities do, go down to Kalimna Park in the summer on a Sunday afternoon. The challenge for us is not just to do this, but to think, how can we do it for the glory of God? How might lunch in the staff room with a colleague be saturated by Jesus? Our gospel community groups that meet, I believe, work best when they begin with a meal. When you can serve each other. When you can start the chat with each other when you can open up over a meal and you build all kinds of trust and communication and create good bonds with each other. 
thinking about this in Jesus's life, I'm always drawn to the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the short tax collector who wanted so much to see Jesus that he climbed up the tree. Do you guys know the story that I'm talking about? And Jesus comes along and he asks to eat with him. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. And by the end of that story, you see the dramatic impact of the grace of Jesus in his life. Zacchaeus in that story turns away from his life of dishonesty as a tax collector and becomes radically generous. Now, the grace of Jesus is what changes Zacchaeus. It's Jesus in his life. And Luke doesn't even mention what they ate. But eating together has that special function of acceptance and of of actually being able to understand the gospel in his life. So here's a bit of a challenge. I want to challenge us to try to eat one meal a week for the next four weeks with someone here from church so that you can get to know each other better. And I want to challenge us to eat one meal a week for the next four weeks with someone who isn't a Christian. This doesn't need to be massive or even in your own home. But I want to encourage us to see what God does with that. See what kind of avenues it opens, what relationships it starts. See what encouragement you find from your brothers and sisters as you do that. If you think about it, if you're a person that has breakfast, lunch and dinner, that's 21 meals a week. And I'm only suggesting to give up two of those to share with someone else. So there we go, eating. Now sometimes when we eat together, we actually do that for something more special, like all the weddings that I've been to recently. Our little boy Sonny turns two next Saturday and we're going to celebrate his birthday over one of those meals. We're going to start a tradition of having cake for breakfast, but it's really important. We did it last year and it's good and he's very excited about celebrating his birthday. See, celebration is the second of these everyday rhythms because while life has these rhythms, there's celebrations that come up. All cultures across the world celebrate different things for different reasons. We've got the big celebration tomorrow of Anzac Day. And so what I want us to think of now is how can we live for the glory of God as we celebrate things? See, we do celebrate a lot in our Australian culture, but I think our culture has really distorted what celebration's about. I I actually find it a bit confronting when I think about how we normally celebrate things. A few years ago, I was celebrating a mate from school, an old school friend, who was getting married. And partway through his Bucks party, his um, brothers had organised a stripper to show up. And so I quickly left the party. But that was their idea of celebrating, to indulge him in that. I remember hearing a couple of years ago uh, when Dan Murphy's, the big liquor chain, opened up their store in Lismore just before Christmas. They literally sold millions and millions of dollars worth of alcohol in that December period leading up to Christmas, into that festive season. See, our culture's idea of celebrating is to indulge and to indulge in these things, that good things that God's given us but completely misuse them, use them in a very self-centred way. It's been the practice of some people, some Christians in the church, to kind of take a moral high road at that point and lead very modest lives with little or no celebration. See, but Jesus doesn't let us do that. We've got to live in this culture celebrating the good things without just being like the rest of the world around us. The parable of the lost son that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, uh, we see this. We see that the father throws a party when his young son 
returns home. He actually returns home from that indulgent living. He could have just been hanging around any kind of major party spot in Australia, that, that younger son really couldn't have been, wasting his father's wealth. And yet he comes home. He comes back to the father, and that's where the real party is. Jesus is at the wedding in Cana. It's the same idea in John chapter 2 where he brings the better wine to the party. He makes the good wine at the end of the party so that the party can continue on. In a life saturated with Jesus, we can be people who celebrate. But we can celebrate with a clarity, a clarity that God is the loving Father who provides everything that we have to be joyful about. We can celebrate with a freedom that we're loved and accepted by God. We celebrate with the understanding that behind everything that we might celebrate, be it a birth or a wedding or a job promotion or an anniversary or whatever it is, that really we're celebrating the God who graciously gives us those things. We celebrate those things, but more than that, we celebrate and worship God for those things. And this kind of celebration stands out to our world. It stands out to our community. Our community can know us as the people that party, as the people that are happy, as the people that are joyful over things that are going on. The people who are joyous over the good things all around us that God provides. In the saturate material, it just suggests these couple of things. Let me share them with you. They suggest that we host parties for friends, for for friends who are having birthdays or anniversaries or accomplishments. This is a great way to serve and bless people and to reach them with the gospel. We can celebrate God's work in and through them and really whether they follow Jesus or not, we can do that. We can enjoy the holidays that are around us. We can celebrate Anzac Day tomorrow with the the reverence that was really there for, for the real meaning of sacrifice and the real idea, like Paul was saying with the kids, that that sacrifice is only a shadow of the sacrifice shown in Jesus for us. We can give good gifts to each other. We can be generous like that because we can understand how to use the things that God has given us. We can understand that God is the one that celebrates. The Bible tells us that he celebrates over everyone that returns to him, over everyone that trusts in him. And so we can be people that celebrate as well. And so the final of these rhythms is is our downtime in life. What about when we're not really doing anything? How can we live to the glory of God in that? See, built into the pattern of creation was the seventh day where God created. You read about it in the very first chapter of the Bible. When we read that God rested on the seventh day, we've got to understand that God wasn't tired. He wasn't knocked up from all his hard work. He didn't need to recharge before he headed across to some other galaxy for some more creating. See, his rest was actually enjoying what he had made. It was appreciating his creation. The same idea of rest comes up in the Ten Commandments. So the Israelites were really bad at trusting God, even after all the things that they saw in Egypt. And yet, one of the things God commanded them to do was to keep the Sabbath, to take a whole day off, that there'd be no working on that day. And the reason that God said that, I think, is that it would keep them dependent on God not accumulating their wealth or just working all the time, but trusting that God provides for them. Now, by the time we hear about the Sabbath in Jesus' day, 
we we see how the Pharisees had completely legalized it and made it not what it was meant to be. And so you hear Jesus speaking quite strongly against the Sabbath. But he affirms this concept of rest and that rest is really important. You see Jesus withdrawing, withdrawing for times of prayer. You see Jesus sitting with people, eating. He's doing all these things frequently. We need to be people, if, we're lives are satur- if our lives are saturated with Jesus, we want to be people that rest and rest well. For many, rest and recreation in, our, in Australia, rest and recreation is just another thing to indulge in. It might come across, or it might be seen as excessive drinking on a Friday afternoon or going on shopping sprees or playing with big boys' toys. That's how our society often identifies um, recreation. I was confronted with this on a water screen trip we did a couple of years ago out to, is, I think it's Burrendong Dam out near Orange, out near Wellington in the west of the state. Um, and going out there, we were just in an old um, speedboat uh, going around on a tube or something, but out there um, lined up were all these really, really big flash boats with these really big expensive four-wheel drives one after the other coming down into the dam and, and lining them up. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with this by itself, but I think that's a bit of a reflection of how most Australians treat rest and recreation. It's just this kind of self-indulgent, have fun at the expense of others, not really caring or thinking about, very self-centred kind of thing. For people with their lives built on Jesus, recreating means that we take time to rest and play, but we do it in a way that reflects God's to ourselves and others. If you believe in the good news of Jesus, that actually means that you can truly rest. We can rest in a way that other people can't. We can rest as people that have handed our concerns and worries over to Jesus. And in fact, your ability to rest is an indication, I believe, of how you're going in trusting God in your life. So can you live with the confidence that God is running the world? Can you live with that confidence that life will go on if we take time out to rejuvenate? So We can. We can do that. We can live with the confidence that God is running the world so that we don't have to. In fact, those of us who are in Jesus should be the most creative people, the most recreative people, the people that enjoy his creation because we understand why he created it because we're free from the enslavement of the approval from others and we're daily becoming like him. So the truth is that when our trust is in him, he's restored us and he's restoring us. And so we're also going to be able to bring restoration to things that are broken and distorted and and mucked up by sin. So do you need to make some changes in your life to carve out longer period for a bit of downtime each week? Do you need to get a bit of babysitting somewhere so that you can do that? Do you need to be more organised and disciplined with your work so that it doesn't encroach on other parts of your life? What might you need to do to carve out a rhythm of rest into your daily, weekly and monthly and yearly schedule? What do you need to do to plan it and what do you need to do that ensure that it happens? And how can you use it to shine the light of Jesus into your life and to the life of others? There's the challenge for us.
See, what I want us to realise about all these things is that God created life to be lived this way, around these patterns of eating and of celebrating and of resting. Our sinful world, it distorts these good things and makes idols out of them. And we're not immune as Christians to being caught up in that. But in a life that's saturated by Jesus, these are some of the most obvious areas where we can be different. We can do these things quite easily to the glory of God. We can be on mission as we do these things. Our everyday life lived for the glory of God, doing everything for the glory of God, seeking the good of many so that we'll see many people saved through it. Let's um, pray for God's help in that. Loving Father, we give you great thanks that you love us and care for us, that you take care of our greatest need in Jesus. Lord, thank you that you show us how to live. And Lord, you free us to live as you would have people live, the way that you created us to live. So I pray that we would be people that are committed to, to living everyday life, Lord, with it infused with your love for us, with your grace and your kindness. Lord, I pray that we would um, be able to be looking out for people wherever we are, when we eat with people, when we celebrate together, when we rest and have times of recreation. Lord, I pray that you would um, yeah, be with us in all of those things and help us to make you known through all of those things. We pray it in Jesus' great name. Amen. And please stand. We're going to